Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. to episode 45 of the Natural Hat-Trick podcast alongside Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner. I'm Luke Lipinski. We're going to get into our team previews. We're going to continue teams, what, seven through nine? These aren't in any order, so don't assess any numerical value to We them. hate your team in particular. <laughs> Whoever they might be. Uh, but today we're going to touch on the LA Kings, the Ottawa Senators, and the Philadelphia Flyers. We're going to talk to John Rosen about the Kings and Bruce Garriock about Ottawa. So two of the uh, <laughs> the bigger insiders in hockey discussing their respective teams. We'll also break down the Flyers as well. That's an interesting combination of three teams because I think it's three teams with legitimate playoff aspirations. I don't know that I would expect all three to make it. I guess it's conceivable all three could miss the playoffs, although I think that's maybe a stretch for L.A., but sort of three teams there in the middle of the pack. I just realized we're two minutes into the podcast. Nobody else has spoken yet. Craig, how about you say things? Wow. Thanks. It's quite a lead-in, too. You're, you're very gifted. I almost didn't even need you guys for this one. Yeah. Well, I'm just, like you said earlier, I'm, I'm, I'd agree with your assessment, first of all, but I'm excited to talk to these two guys. John Rose and I have known each other for a very long time. We worked together at Fox. Bruce, as you know, writes that Sunday column that seemingly everyone in Canada reads. Yes. So <laughs> two guys with, with a lot of insights. And as I have stated many times before, love having beat writers on the show because these guys are the boots on the ground or these women are the boots on the ground. While the national writers may get some of the attention, these are the people who really know the ins and outs of the teams, all the little details, even where the bodies are buried sometimes. So great to have both these guys on. So let's kick it off. And for the second time in show history, Craig Morgan is getting paid via check under the door while we're recording. This is, this is a, it's not an under-the-table deal. It's an under-the-door Literally, deal. money is just being shoved they, under the door to the, Craig. The owner and the director of our company just came by together to make sure to slide his paycheck under the door. So... I don't know. I guess he can feed his family tonight. You know, this is basically like this is how this, this says a lot about this podcast. I don't he, know if you guys are aware of this, but I'm kind of a big deal around here. <laughs> so I hear he walks by the window. He literally just gives Craig money, kind of waves to me, and then gives Jamie just a disappointed look and carries on about his day. Sometimes they tuck it into my shirt. It's cash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and transitioning to Alex Ovechkin. Off that image. Uh, no, there's Speaking of someone with a lot of cash, yes. Alex Ovechkin. That's a smooth transition right there. So we're about four weeks, four or five weeks, let's say five weeks from the start of the World Cup of Hockey. Um, training camps are going to open right around the same time, about four or five weeks. So hockey season is not far off at all. But right now is certainly the slowest period uh, in terms of news, except when you have Alex Ovechkin, or at least rumors about Alex Ovechkin, claiming he has a lower body injury that might keep him out of the World Cup. Uh, rumors he quickly dispelled on social media, and anytime you read anything on social media, it's 100% true, so I'm sold. Well? <laughs> <laughs> Tell I, me about social media, see, Jamie. Yeah, I, don't know, uh, I don't know where to go from that one without just insulting everybody, okay. which normally I'm pretty much okay with if yeah. anyone's listened to our last show. You haven't used air quotes and quite or skilled. anything. Yeah. If, 
the way Ovechkin has talked about playing an inter- now the Olympics is again this is a World Cup of Hockey and the Olympics are not the, the same animal but the way he's talked about playing in these international tournaments for his country in the past I imagine if he can play and the Capitals don't have a canary over it he will play who do you think the World Cup of Hockey is a bigger deal to Canada or Ovechkin the NHL's PR department <laughs> that was not one of the options <laughs> okay well, because, I mean, Ovechkin, Jamie's right. Ovechkin always talks about how big of a deal it is to play for Russia, and yet Russia always seems, over the last couple of Olympics, to, to underachieve. So he's never really had that breakthrough moment at the Olympics. He obviously hasn't quite had that breakthrough moment at the NHL either. If he goes out there and wins the World Cup for his country, that's going to be a big deal, and they've got a, a pretty good lineup. So you're saying, like, the Russian Olympic team needs something to, like, enhance their performance? Mm. That's, uh, I, that I that think... has been said. I think Russia has, has the best World Cups of hockey. Russia has the best rosters. I think a lot of people would say that Russia has the best rosters. I mean, I know I would say that Russia has the best rosters, and I'm not trying to create a link here between Russia and someone else. No, of course not. So <laughs> Greg's excitement level for the World Cup of hockey is through the roof, and it inspires me. I'm, I'm, so, uh, I'm so ready for this. Sorry, time. I was just looking at that meme of Donald Trump as a baby, so. Yeah, that, threw me. that really pretty much ruined everybody's day. Thanks for mm-hmm. thanks for showing that directly to me before the show. Uh, this is one that could ruin a lot of people's days. Uh, August 15th, I believe, is decision day for Jimmy yep. VC. He doesn't have to decide on the 15th, but I would assume at this point he's got to be pretty close to uh, – he's got to know who he's who's Oh, no, no, to. Luke. He's allowed to start talking to teams then. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, nobody – he hasn't had any contact with no, any other the, team. Of course not. That'd be tampering. He can, that, does, that doesn't go on. He can talk to teams other than Toronto starting on August 15th. Is that the ruling here? Mm. Um, Hobie Baker, award winner from Harvard. So he's a smart guy, and he's good at hockey. And it sounds like he's down to five teams, or at least, as Craig pointed out, five teams that we know of. Uh, none of them are Nashville. <laughs> the uh, Rangers, Sabres, Bruins, Blackhawks, and Leafs. Uh, I maintain that if he signs with the Leafs, a lot of people, especially in Nashville, are going to be very upset. And if he signs with the Blackhawks, Everybody else in the world is going to be very upset. So here's hoping he goes one to, to one of those three other teams I mentioned at the beginning. 56 goals, 104 points in 70 games over the last two seasons at Harvard. Maybe could be a top six forward right away for some teams. But I still want to ask a question. Is there too much hype surrounding this guy? Probably. Yeah, probably. Does part of that have to do with the fact that we're just in the dead period of the season? Or are we just overhyping this kid? I think part of it's the dead period, but it's also... The NHL, outside of the first couple picks, doesn't have that NFL draft feel. That all, all these players don't feel like, oh, they're going to make an immediate impact. So it's rare to make an unknown high upside acquisition like this, unless it's via trade. And it does, doesn't happen very often, but, I mean, who's, who's the last big name? Justin Schultz. Justin Schultz, right? Yeah, and, and that's the last one I remember getting this much hype. he just started becoming worthwhile? Decent, yeah. I mean, so... Uh, Again, you don't know. They're two different players, completely different positions, completely different circumstances. But it's still an unknown commodity and someone who's played exactly zero professional games that maybe this is not the first-line difference maker right away that he's being treated with the coverage as he is. I think a lot of it ends up uh, with, with where he goes, though. I mean, he was, what, the 66th pick in 2012, but he's 23 years old now, and, and he's improved greatly, I would say, since 2012 when he was drafted. Uh, so he's somebody at 23 that probably comes in and makes an impact. I, I would assume he at least plays right away this season. And so I, I just the way this storyline sort of played out, I do think we're going to see David Poyle very upset, more so even than he was back in whatever that was, March or April, if we see 
VC end up on on the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think there's just there's there's yeah. going to be conspiracy theories if that happens. And like I said, if he goes to Chicago, I mean, <laughs> they're What's, already loaded. What do you think the best situation is for him? You know, I, I guess it depends on what he's looking for. If you're looking for a chance to make an immediate impact, that might change the answer a little bit. But with, with, what is the best place for him to end up and actually have a best chance of succeeding? You know, given the people we might be playing with. Of the these, situation. of these five teams, right? Yeah, here? let's let's just stick with these five. Well, Chicago, on the ice, but how about financially? Because if I, I don't know what yeah. the exact contract situation, but wouldn't it be a one-year entry level, and then what, two to three years of RFA? Are they going to be able to afford to pay him? He would say be, he's great in his first two or three years, and his last going into his last RFA year, what is he going to make from Chicago? He'd be on his way to Columbus. I mean, that's that's the truth. He would come in and help for uh, for two or three years, and he'd be on his. Well, he you don't know what, you don't know what the cap situ- situation is going to look like for the Blackhawks. Then things things may change. You know, who knows what, where Marion Hosa is going to be down the road if if they come to some sort of agreement. Uh, a lot of things can change in that period. I'm not sure you look three years down the road, but in, in terms of now, I, there are a lot of factors that I think play in Chicago's favor here. Aside from the fact that they're the Blackhawks, and you know, what if, what if Stan Bowman is coming to him saying, "Hey." You got a really good chance to play alongside Jonathan Tate yeah. for a season. It's not even just a really good chance. He would, right? I, mean, I, I would crazy think they, Jonathan Taves needs line mates, and if they really want to go, as you know, we had Chris Hine on a few weeks ago, uh, beat writer for the Sun Times, talking uh, or the Chicago Tribune. Sorry about that. Mark Lazarus would be angry with me as well. Um, I like talking it when you about people Marion Hosa's, you know, role, evolving role with the Blackhawks. They, in an ideal world, they probably want to slide him down to a shutdown role on that third line. So. You need line mates for Jonathan Taves on both sides, so maybe this is a fit. The more you talk, the more I hope he doesn't go to Chicago mm-hmm. because he kind of does feel like the missing piece that, you know, they, they every team has flaws. Chicago has their sixth defenseman isn't going directly into the Hall of Fame this year. But, they're, you know, if they add VC alongside Jonathan Taves and they're able to put Hosa on the third line, that's ridiculous because Marion Hosa is still a good hockey player. It's, it's not like he's washed up. And so if you have him on your third line, he instantly becomes that much more valuable. I don't want him going to Chicago. Yeah, and the other side of the financial coin is you're only gonna you're gonna make a very limited amount of money the first few years in the league. Yeah. Why not go to the team where you have a chance to win immediately? Yeah, and uh, and to play with a player like that who can make you a better player and absolutely. and what better player to learn from, by the way, setting an example for how to be an NHL player. We're deleting all this, right? Sorry, I, and I'm not seriously this. not trying to <laughs> pump the the Blackhawks tires as they in NHL parlance, but. When I look at these situations, I you know I, you can say that Toronto and Buffalo might be on the upswing. I get that. There's some truth to that, but you don't know where are the Rangers in Boston going right now. I think they're going the opposite direction right now. Yeah. So if you look at situations, Chicago has a lot in its favor. I, I just to play devil's advocate here, I think the Sabers would be an intriguing uh, mm-hmm. landing spot just because they have quietly stocked, maybe not so quietly with, with Eichel, but with some of the guys that aren't Jack Eichel, they've stockpiled a lot of uh, good young talent. You add him in there, and they're already a team that I think could contend for a playoff spot this year. Yeah, especially if if VC can come in and be an elite goaltender, that would really help the Sabers. But they don't seem to have any interest in addressing that need, so why not add another forward? If if I'm looking at, they're probably second on my list of places for where he should go but of course they're not consulting me or you no no i mean it, it's the, the interest in toronto growing with a young team why not join a team that's two years ahead of the progress yeah and yeah. and this is where jamie says something about how if he joined the bruins he would just get traded in a couple of years if he was good anyway right. probably <laughs> and it's but the difference between toronto and buffalo too are you looking to be in that kind of limelight or would you like a little less pressure playing for the buffalo sabers i don't know you you, you don't know all the things that are weighing into this decision 
And then the Rangers are just on this list because I guess we needed a five-team list, and that's why New- I, he's not going to the Rangers, is he? I don't know. I mean, that's what, what do the Rangers really have going for them right now other than Henrik Lundqvist? And a very old goaltender, yeah. I, I don't see a lot there right now. I'm, I'm not feeling good about the Rangers' immediate future. It feels like if you look at this list, you've got a cup contender in the Blackhawks. You've got a couple young teams that you can be a part of, of the the rebuilding process. And like Jamie said, it just depends which stage you want to come in on with, with Buffalo and Toronto. But, you know, he's, he's got ties to Boston, so I guess they, they make some sense too. But the Rangers are sure, just— Sure, until they trade him in three years. Yes, well, <laughs> and then the Rangers are—they're uh, just a team. All right, we have. Uh, are we doing this Lipinski list? We keep talking about it. Uh, I don't know if I want to attach my name to this, so we're going to say this is a, a Tara no, Lipinski it's, list. It's, it's the Lipinski list. But it's spelled with an I, so it's not the Lipinski list. Tara Lipinski. Yes. Tara. It's, okay. it's Olympic time. Come on. Okay. I'm fired up. Ah, and, and on that note. Yes. The Lipinski list this week is 10 markets in which the NHL would never succeed. Now, we're, we're staying within reason here. As we, we said off mic earlier, you know, locations like Borneo are not going to work. Uh, locations where cannibalism still exists probably aren't going to succeed in, as an NHL market. But so I can't say Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, well, I mean we could we could get crazy here, that right? Was, but that was let's, let's stick to major markets. Yeah. Major markets where the NHL you'll never see an NHL team. All right, I'll go first. Rio, or is that too outlandish? Now That's, the Olympic tie. Yeah. Green ice. <laughs> where? Yes. No. No green ice. Green ice. What happened there last night? But I, the, I, what happened there last night? What happened there just in general? Yeah, but that was an indoor pool. It happened today with the pool, uh, the water polo pools as well. well okay, I mean, so just freeze that and have green ice. Yeah, 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 the water, water's kind of an issue there. But that's an indoor pool. Mm-hmm. Remember, like on the old school standard. Oh, I know, I'm showing my young age. Old school standard definition televisions where the, the hockey ice used to look like a tint of yellow. Yes. If you so ever, this time it's not. There's nothing wrong with the TV. If you ever flip on the NHL Network, like during the summer, it's like and bluish yellow, like depending yeah. on what camera angle, and they're showing like, hey, it's the greatest games from 1998. Like not that long ago, Yager had already been in the league for 37 years at that point, and it looks like it was like filmed on a, I don't even know what. It looks like sketch artist drawings <laughs> of, of the games. It's unbelievable. Oh, Anything before like 2008 all looks the same, whether it's 1934 or 2005. Anyway, that's my contribution to the list. What else you guys got? Qatar. <laughs> we're going to keep on international. So we're, so we're not going to go outlandish. We're going to keep it realistic. Don't CNN unless call it Qatar on the yeah. air. I, I, I know. It's, it's the VC VC argument. So I have no you idea. You don't see any Middle Eastern teams, right? Okay. No, I do okay. not. Are we, are we just ruling out the entire Middle East for NHL markets? I'm, I'm just glad we've, we've stopped going with any outlandish possibilities like Qatar. <laughs> well, you know, it, you know, it's not like they would host like the World Cup or anything. Yes, well, <laughs> be that as it may. Uh, do you have anything from North America, Craig? From North America? Well, I'll get there in a minute. But okay. I'm, I'm going to rule out Sydney as well. Although, you know, Australia seems like a – well, it is a Western civilization in many ways. But I don't think they're embracing ice hockey all that much. I know there are some – there are actually some leagues there. There are. I've looked them up before. I don't see the NHL expanding to Sydney. First of all, we, we've talked about road trips to a European yeah. division. You want to talk about a road trip for one Australian city, that would be tough. You'd, at that point, you'd also have to bring in Tokyo and Beijing and a lot of other markets that will never see the light of day in the NHL. Uh, that's true. What prompted this list again? This I week? have no <laughs> idea. 
Yeah. I don't remember what there was like two. Weeks I think ago. it was two Craig's weeks ago. Idea. We were talking about the European division. Yes. Oh, well, I was well. That. I was dreaming about a European division, yes. mostly because of the road trips. Yeah, you just want to take road trips yes. to Europe. That's what started all yes. this. Yes, and I couldn't come up with a way to get Amsterdam on the list. I was really trying, but so this is basically, Prague was a a good one A. Uh, yeah. So so this was an offshoot of that. This is a list I mean, of places Craig doesn't want to go. Listeners right now are wondering what the heck we're talking oh, about. Oh, so so are some of the hosts. Why we're spending so much time on this? All right, but this is my last entry. El Paso. I just can't see there being a team in El Paso. Although there is a minor league team. Oh, shots fired. Somebody was going to throw out Quebec City, and Jamie did it. Well, speaking of shots fired, you mentioned El Paso. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. Who else can we insult? Did you say Quebec? Did you really just drop Quebec on us? It's my gimmick. Wow. I don't know. That might be a showstopper right there. Excuse me. Just kidding. Gonna cool off my forehead. Send here. all your hate mail to Luke Lipinski. No, no, this is not my list, and I didn't say Quebec. Tara Lipinski. <laughs> yes, she's gonna be like, "Why are people texting me about El Paso? I don't know why you'd ever phone." All right, let's go staccato. Just throw out the first city that comes to mind: Mexico City. All right, I think we're pretty well set. Can we? Uh, can we? I go, think we can move on. Can we go to John Rosen, uh, LA Kings insider? He's gonna join us now uh, to talk. Yes. Something worthwhile to discuss. On <laughs> yes, our it was worth the wait. Let's uh, let's preview the LA Kings. All right, we're going to continue our team-by-team uh, team preview by going out to the phones and talking to John Rosen. That uh, Pretty much all, I would assume, hockey fans at this point know him as LA Kings Insider. You can follow, follow him on Twitter, at LA Kings Insider. So, John, thanks for joining us. I'm going to let Jamie start off with the questions here. Hey, John. Given LA's early exit from the playoffs last season, how much concern is there within the organization about the lack of defensive depth? It's certainly something that the team is, is aware of and cognizant of, and it is a little bit of a concern. It's also been a concern for the team for really the last two seasons, uh, you know, ever since the, you know, Slava Voinov's awful uh, alleged uh, incident, uh, you know, involving his wife and his self-deportation. Uh, the Kings have not been able to really find that, uh, at least, uh, you know, they have found an adequate uh, replacement on that second second line, second defensive pairing right side in the versatile Alex Martinez who can play uh, both on the left and the right. But uh, since moving up rung, he's been holding water and he's been doing a, a fairly good job in a lot of situations. He's a good skater, but it's still you're not getting the, you know, the 23 minutes, uh, you know, of those those strong minutes right behind. Throughout, that's been a challenge that this team has not been able to really strongly replace over the last several seasons. This is, again, something that the Kings have had to deal with the last several seasons. The Kings were, you know, above a 100-point team this past year, something that the Kings also have in their favor. Um, though there is, are the questions of the defensive depth, is that the Kings play with as good, if not better, structure than any National Hockey League team. It's the team that positionally, uh, possession-wise, all of that for the last five or six years has been the best team in the league playing in the attacking end and pushing play under Daryl Sutter. So they've been able to get by uh, by winning those low-scoring games. They've been able to get by uh, by you know having those sterling possession-type rates. Um, so with the structure, the ability to play in the offensive end, you know the, the type of contributions that you get from players that might not be scoring as much but still uh, play that strong, structured, tight, defensive, tight-checking hockey, uh, they've been able to get by. But certainly... If you're looking for something that the Kings are still striving to look forward to, towards improving, uh, it would be that defensive depth. Okay. I asked you this earlier, and you're touching on this a little bit, but is the feeling that there are some potential internal solutions there, John? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're looking at uh, Drew Doughty and Jake Muzzin seemingly in the prime of their careers right now. Uh, Braden McNabb is somebody that has accomplished everything that he can possibly accomplish, including junior at AHL levels, and now has several seasons of NHL hockey under his belt. 
uh, see somebody that is in that right type of age that you would be imagining could take that step forward this year. He's penciled, I believe, as of right now to begin the season alongside Drew Doughty, uh, where he saw his best minutes last season before the team acquired Luke Shen, and he was uh, dropped a little bit uh, down on the depth chart. Um, the interesting uh, thing is going to take place in that third pairing. Uh, in an ideal world, uh, if everybody's playing uh, towards the top of their ability, that's still something that looks like it could be Rob Scuderi, Matt Green. Uh, however, there's going to be tight, tight competition uh, for that um, for that third uh, that pairing. You don't know what you're going to get from Matt Green. He played all three games last year before he uh, was felled by uh, you know his uh, injuries and surgery from early in the season. Um, Rob Scuderi somebody that has a good stick and plays strong in his own defensive end, but it's not going to push play. It's going to provide no offense to the team and not exactly fleet of foot. Uh, and then you have some younger players, too. Uh, players such as Zach Trotman, Kevin Gravel, Derek Forbert, uh, over to former first-round pick who's going to factor uh, into that depth perhaps well. Gravel might have just a little bit of a head uh, above him at this point right now. Uh, and, of course, there's also Tom Gilbert, uh, who the team signed uh, at $1.6 million uh, uh, this past off season, so he's somebody that's going to also uh, factor into that mix. Could be a seventh defenseman on this team too. So uh, there are a lot of options defensively, uh, but there is nobody that's going to be at this point right now head and shoulders uh, top flight prospect that's going to you know seamlessly step in and, and get those minutes. It's going to be interesting to see how that depth continues to shake out. And John Dustin Brown was the captain of this team for for two Stanley Cups. I think it was since two thousand eight. So you're looking at almost eight full years there. You know, with the transition to Anze Kopitar, obviously Kopitar is a great leader. But is that going to be awkward at all with Dustin Brown still in the room? Absolutely. It's something that's a question that the players are going to have to answer every stop along the way. Every time they go and visit a city for the first time, that's a question that's going to be asked to both Kopitar to Dustin Brown. I think they have the type of composition. Um, both players where they're not going to at least let it affect them visibly. Um, these are, of course, two players that, that have won two Stanley Cup teams, so you know, they're, they're accustomed to situations that might not be the easiest. Um, but, yes, it will absolutely be a distraction this coming season. And really, from what the Kings are looking for, they need to get Dustin Brown going. That's going to be something that's uh, a lot more difficult than it sounds. It's something that where Dustin Brown has seen his shooting percentage drop every single year since the 2012-13 season. Uh, he's somebody that uh, is probably going to open the year as a first-line type player playing to the right of Andre Kopitar, uh, even though he has, uh, you know, hasn't had that type of production of the last two or three seasons. He's been very good against the Coyotes. Daryl Sutter referenced him, by the way, a year or two ago. I know there are a lot of, uh, of Arizona Coyotes. Uh, you know, voices and reporters, uh, you know, in on this uh, conversation as well, that <laughs> yes. his production, if they could play 82 games a year against Arizona, would be quite a different story. But uh, we digress here. Um, uh, you're making lots of fans here as well, John. So. <laughs> exactly. I know how well-liked Dustin Brown is uh, you know, down in the desert. Um, but, um, you know, he's somebody that, if you talk to management, they want to see him get to the front of the net, drive with a puck to the front of the net, set up shop in front of the net. That's where he has so much of his success. If you look at some of the analytics sites, I believe it was behind the net, uh, it had his average shot distance come from about uh, two feet beyond uh, what it had been in recent years. So that shows that he is shooting a little bit more, and he did crack 210 shots on goal last year, which is a good thing, but he's shooting from a little bit of distance. So he's got to bring the puck towards the front, towards the crease, uh, cash in and on those second and third opportunities out front. Uh, and, and then we'll see what happens from there, because if you ask a lot of Kings fans, 
again, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here before we even get to the season. They're asking, would he be somebody that would be exposed in the expansion draft? Is there a chance that he would ever move? There was no market for Dustin Brown uh, just because of the, the contract that he, he is attached to him right now at this point. And, and, and as of right now, given uh, that uh, you know other teams were not really taking any bait there and interested in acquiring him, it would be interesting to, to see if, if Vegas would, would also follow that lead as well. But uh, no movement right now as far as Dustin Brown is concerned. The team, you know, as, as tough as it seems, because he hasn't shown for the last three seasons that, that his production from earlier in his career is something that could be carried forward now. Uh, they're going to need a, a stronger season out of him. A couple questions for you on the offseason before we dive into this season. Uh, I guess this, this one will play out during the season, but in your opinion, are the Kings better or worse without Milan Lucic, uh, factoring in his contract, of course? Well, this coming season, uh, definitely worse. Uh, he was somebody that was a well-respected, emotional team leader uh, who also was productive at even strength, an underrated passer, and pushed play into the attacking zone. He is going to be a boon for the Edmonton Oilers, at least for the first three, four years of his contract. You know, exactly when you, know, you might see production drop off for such a rugged, you know, physical player at his age. Uh, you know, that, that's up for debate down the line. But not only, you know, is his presence something that, you know, from a, again, that heaviness that the Kings bring at you from a, a game-to-game basis, this was also somebody that had he resigned with the Kings um, would have allowed the team a little bit of flexibility to perhaps trade a forward uh, to be able to bring in that defenseman that they covet. So uh, they weren't able to sign him, so there's a little bit less flexibility there. Um, but from what he did in his year as a King, uh, graded very highly in all accounts. Uh, you know, I don't think you're going to find too many people, um, I, I think, on the inside that would have very many negative things to say about him. One of the more misunderstood players in the National Hockey League, of course, we see some of the highlights and some of the things in, in antics and, you know, in some of those East Coast rivalries that didn't quite follow him as much out to the West Coast. I do know mm-hmm. and recall that he did his one suspension this year was for, uh, you know, the infraction uh, in Arizona. I believe it was with Kevin Connaught, and so there was that. But other than that, and other than just the, the first game of the season, you know, the hit that he made, the match penalty that was ultimately rescinded uh, on looking sure, um, you know, he's somebody that was very effective in playing that emotional role. While he did take some penalties, um, the emotion and that ruggedness certainly was to the King's benefit for, for long stretches of that season. Okay, sticking with the offseason for a moment, and as I mentioned to you, it's funny how these threads go. You know, Daryl Sutter was considered a genius just a few short years ago when the Kings won their second cup. You missed the playoffs one season, you bow in the first round. He obviously signed the, the uh, new deal uh, with an option for a third-year, two-year deal. Does this team still believe in him, John? Is this still Daryl Sutter's team? You know, that's something that's a, that's a really good question. I, I think when you look at what the team was able to accomplish last year, and of course it was a team that flamed out the first round of the playoffs, lost in five games to San Jose. Uh, this was still a 100-plus point team last year. And again, this is still the team that is most equipped in this league to be able to win those two-to-one type games. Um, they don't quite have the same defensive depth as we've covered uh, earlier, um, as they had, you know, when they had players like Willie Mitchell, even Robert Rigier, who wasn't a great possession guy, but still big, strong, physical, good for, um, you know, the kind of the size and the way that the team wanted to play. Um, this is still a question that might have to be answered this year. I, I think Daryl is very unique in, in, in his approach. I think he has softened up somewhat uh, from maybe some of his louder earlier days of coaching back when he was with Chicago, when he was with San Jose. Um, but, you know, from the structure that they play with, from the way that they are well-prepared, well-coached, um, 
and have generally been a very good road team under Daryl Sutter. That was also a tenant of the Terry Murray team, too. Um, yes, this, this is still a team that is effective under Daryl Sutter, uh, and not just Daryl Sutter, but, you know, the entire coaching staff. John Stevens is somebody that has been linked to head coaching openings. Davis Payne has done very good things with the power play, which has improved over the last two years, and which has been a top-ten team in the league uh, on special teams. So, yes, the, the, the coaching staff this coming year will have to address the penalty killing a little bit. They have a lot of options there. But in terms of the coaching staff and Daryl Sutter, they can still all be effective together. And given everything that has happened, the way that the last season ended, some of the uncertainty involving personnel, Daryl Sutter is absolutely the best choice um, to, to lead this team this year and in the coming years going forward. Talking to LA Kings insider John Rosen. Uh, John, I'm looking up and down the roster for guys that might be able to help uh, replace some of the offensive production that you, you lose with Milan Lucic going to Edmonton. One of the names that jumps out to me is Tanner Pearson. Uh, last year was really only his first full NHL season. He obviously made a huge impact uh, during that second Stanley Cup run. 36 points last year. Is he somebody that that can produce more offense than that? I guess. What is the ceiling that they're expecting from, from Tanner Pearson? They're going to need a big year from him, and then that's where it gets complicated because he's an RFA at the end of the season. Both Tanner Pearson and Tyler DeFoley will be RFA is coming up uh, this upcoming uh, offseason. So, um, yeah, they're looking for something big. He, he's somebody that has a hard, accurate shot. Another player has played some of his best uh, hockey against Arizona, uh, but is somebody that, um, again, has improved all other facets of his game. He's going to get a little bit more of a, uh, a penalty-killing role this coming year. He had that throw this past season as well. Um, one of the players that if you talk to management, they were impressed, they were happy with the way that his season progressed, even though there were a couple of lulls in production. Um, they saw it as a step forward as he's battled injuries, uh, you know, both in his junior and minor hockey and, of course, the broken left that he, he suffered back in the 14-15 season. Um, it's going to be very hard to resign both him and Tafoli. This is not something that should be expected to happen immediately. Uh, they are, again, both under team control. There's not as much concern just because of the RFA status, but um, both players um, will will have to look to continue to, to create more offense, and he's one of those players with the absence of Milan Lucic who will be counted on to, to raise his production this year. John, you just touched on it, but is there any talk of maybe extending Tafoli and Pearson early, or do you, do you no, see the Kings waiting this out? This is going to be a middle of the season. Don't expect anything in the short term. These are going to be guys that are going to be more expensive and a little bit harder to resign. You know, I don't want to compare it to Andre Kopitar because that was a $10 million a year average annual value when that was done in January of 2016. Um, but like that, should something happen, it's going to happen in the middle of the year. Um, but again, look at what the Kings have and look what the Kings need. The Kings have some okay scoring depth. Maybe the third and fourth line are, are going to be tested, especially since having lost Milan Lucic. Um, but they, they are looking for defense. And, and again, even with Lucic, they were going to be looking to trade a forward to bring in a defenseman um, where Lucic would resign. So that's going to be a question this coming year. Um, but we'll be following that, obviously, all season long. That's, that's going to be an interesting backstory to the upcoming season because both Defoli and, and Pearson – uh, shouldn't be assumed that these are just going to be rubber stamped approved and, and move on quickly. You know, John, after, after they win two cups in three years, they've won just one playoff game in the last two years. In your mind, what was missing last year against the Sharks? Uh, well, I don't think it was necessarily just against the Sharks uh, uh, specifically. I think their defensive depth uh, has been hit when you don't have 
Slava Voinov and you don't have Willie Mitchell, two players that were extremely effective for them, especially in the 2014 run, Willie Mitchell in both runs. Um, this was a team that, that basically had its third defensive pairing all of a sudden become its second defensive pairing. Players like Matt Green are much older. You don't know what you're going to get from him this year. Rob Scuderi has been a very valuable role player and still showed at times this past year that he could play a particular role. Is not somebody that's going to tilt the needle in terms, again, of offense or, or protection or possession or anything that, that helps you play in the offensive zone. So they've taken a little bit of a hit defensively. I think if you talk to uh, management, especially Dean Lombardi, he's talking for the how he's looking for that reinvention. You know, you don't want to just try and replicate the success that you've had, but continue to reinvent. Of course, these go along with the, you know, the somewhat long-winded and flowery but very interesting Dean Lombardi. Uh, conference call that he has with the local media. Um, but I, I, if you speak with them, they're looking to refine that spark. It might not happen this year. Maybe it's next year. Because um, there are still, again, Lucic having departed and still the same defensive questions that I think a lot of teams in the NHL have. Um, this is still a team that, that is in unfinished products right now and will still be looking to probably make moves to its roster as they've got a little bit of a log jam on defense right now heading into the season. And a lot of players vying for uh, for depth spots on this same team. So, uh, more than anything, though, it's, it's the defensive depth has been affected, and there are probably a little bit of some core intangible aspects that you would uh, speak with the front office too. Uh, John, my last one for you, Marion Gabrick. I mean, there was there was a time when he was putting up routinely putting up thirty plus goal seasons, a few forty goal seasons in there. Last year, just twenty two total points in fifty four games. Uh, internally, what are the expectations for for him, or what do they need from him over the course of an eighty two game season? a bounce-back season, and they need that badly. He really was starting to get going when, when he went down with the uh, knee injury last year uh, in February. His best stretch of hockey was the two weeks that he played uh, leading up to that incident uh, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, he was somebody that, once he rejoined the team in the playoffs, was actually pretty effective at using his speed and being able to back off the Sharks' defense a little bit. He was among the more dangerous case forwards, even though he didn't really factor in production-wise or tilt the series uh, uh, in any direction. But look, I mean, there's so much discussion right now about the need to evolve uh, to that faster, more skilled style. He was directly chosen to be somebody the Kings were targeting just because that he has that skill. The Kings were short on the skill back in 2014. They needed that goal scoring, that speed, that skill, and they were able to get that. Um, so right now for this Kings team, there are other players who probably you know, are up there in terms of speed, Jeff Carter, Trevor Lewis, even Andre Kopitar, he might not be the fastest player in the league, but he's one of the best at protecting the puck, uh, and is still somebody that is, is, is so effective at gaining the offensive zone. That's another thing that Dustin Brown is actually quite good at, too, with his own entries. Uh, but uh, Marion Gabrick, uh, absolutely. They need him. If they can get a solid season, a good 70-plus game for him, they'll, they'll be pretty happy, but he's got to produce, and he'll most likely start out that season, uh, you know, barring any injuries or anything unforeseen, uh, skating alongside Andre Kopitar and Dustin Brown. John, a couple more for you, from me. Uh, one pretty straightforward. Uh, in your opinion, is Jonathan Quick still an elite goaltender in this league? You look at the, the save percentage over the last couple seasons, pretty consistent. I think 918 both of the last two seasons, maybe just a shade under where you'd want it to be. But what's your thought on that? Yes, uh, absolutely one of the top three or four goaltenders in the league. I don't know where you would draw the bar between elite, very good. Um, but you see, you don't see, and this is something that's, when you go to Twitter and you look for that consensus on Jonathan Quick, is I think people are a little bit more sarcastic and caustic and are more quick to highlight deficiencies in his game when they pop up here or there. But the reality is, is that he doesn't let in very many soft goals. 
generally we look at the definition of a soft goal in which everybody else on the ice has been doing their part, and yet the goaltender still is able to, still fails to stop a positive shot at him. Um, so I, whether you want to place him, I, I think Carey Price is probably when healthy the consensus best goalie in the league. However, you want to place him alongside um, certain other Henrik Lundqvist, uh, you know, Pekka Rinne had that bounce back in the, the playoffs after a, a season in which uh, he had a lousy first half, was great in the second half. He's right around there, uh, one of the top in the league. Uh, most athletic goaltenders in the league, somebody capable of winning the Kings game, even when the team is not at their best. So um, whether or not that's elite, whether or not that's very, very good, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the four or five best goaltenders in the National Hockey League. John, a lot of talk about Las Vegas, and not just for the road trips that we beat writers get to take. Uh, the expansion draft. Uh, there have been uh, sort of an examination of most of the NHL clubs at this point online where you, you wonder who might be protected, who might be exposed, and what sort of problems the expansion draft creates. What does it look like for the Kings? Well, it just depends if they go through the uh, seven, seven forward, three defensemen, one goaltender option, or eight total skaters option uh, with a goaltender. Uh, this is somebody that uh, the Kings, if they choose to go seven, three, and one, they're theoretically leaving open someone like Braden McNabb to get selected uh, by the expansion team as a young defenseman. Um, that's somebody that probably would open up a couple eyes, uh, you know, if you're part of Las Vegas management. But it's so early to say that right now, just because we don't know what the data is going to be for this upcoming season. Um, but obviously, players who had those tough contracts, players like Dustin Brown. Uh, players like uh, Marion Gabrick, I believe, would be expected to see that those players would be um, left unprotected in, in the expansion draft. The question is going to be some of those core guys that the Kings have won with and think very highly of, the really good character guys who might not be highly productive but are still good detail guys. Uh, players like Kyle Clifford, players like Trevor Lewis. Um, you know, Nick Shore had something that he's got to have to prove this year because he's been structure-wise and detail-wise very responsible center, but hasn't yet shown that he can score regularly in the National Hockey League. So um, the questions right now uh, that I would have uh, really are about players like Braden McNabb, whether the team goes 7-3-1 or protecting 8. Uh, and again, those, those middle-tier guys, uh, as uh, you know, this is, uh, this is a, a case team that only has to protect Andre Kopitar because of his uh, NMC, which I believe takes place throughout the first four years of his contract. But it's not as a, a dire of a situation as perhaps a team like Anaheim. Uh, which, uh, as of right now, still has to protect someone like Kevin Piexa, who's playing a third-pairing defensive role for the team uh, while he's healthy uh, late in the season last year. All right, John, my last question for you, and it has nothing to do with hockey. I would be remiss in not asking you, how is fatherhood treating you? It is wonderful. Uh, it, it's, uh, having a girl is so incredible. I never understood this before we had the baby, and you pick her up and you hug her. But she's just so beautiful and wonderful. I wish I could show you all pictures of her right now. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at one on Facebook right now, actually. <laughs> oh, she's, a, she's an angel, and she will be raised. She will not have much of a choice. She'll be raised a very big University of Michigan football player. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm sorry to hear that last fact, but aside from that, I'll try and look past that. <laughs> All good. And, and you know what? I hope that she will be able to grow up, too, and have a, a wonderful education at uh, Wesleyan University. Oh, there it is. Now you're pandering. Hey, John, good stuff as always. Thanks a lot. Always my pleasure. Thank you. Great talking to you, John. Take care. Thanks. Interesting stuff there out of uh, John Rosen as Craig puts more money that came under the door into his uh, bag. This is a lucrative deal for you today. 
I have doormats at home made out of dollar bills. Just ones or 20s? Yeah, I won't share that, but okay. I, I do change them out frequently. That's, he doesn't want to brag, yeah, obviously. Let's not get out of control here. Uh, John said a few interesting things there. I, I thought about the Kings. First and foremost, to my question about uh, Dustin Brown and Anze Kopitar and that, that captain switch, his uh, response to will it be awkward was quite simply, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that pretty much says it all. Uh, Craig, I remember when, when you and I were in Vegas for the award show talking to Drew Doughty about this, and you know, Doughty downplayed it a little bit, and he said basically Kopitar and Brown have very similar leadership styles. In fact, he said, unlike me being Drew Doughty, where I just run around and yell in the locker room. Those two are, are similar. And I get that. And, you know, if you if you play it right, you still have Dustin Brown in the room, so you almost have, like, an additional leader. But he doesn't even have an A on his sweater this yeah. year, and that's just got to be so weird. Yeah, it's definitely got to be awkward for Brown walking around. You know, like, like John said, the first road trip that they take to every city, that's going to be one of the first questions. So what's it like not being the captain anymore? They don't trust you with that role anymore. And maybe we'll free him up to get his mojo back. I don't see that happening. I know John talked about that. I, I just think Dustin Brown is on the decline as a player. Maybe it frees him up a little bit in terms of pressure. But what's Kopitar thinking when he's taking that role? You know, on, in those team situations where you have to step up and say something as the team leader, does he feel like Dustin Brown's looking over his shoulder saying, well, I, I wouldn't have done that? Or Yeah. I, I, and you, you assume they have a good relationship, but still there's that, that little bit of I'm new in this role. You've done this for a very long time, and, and you're still here. Yeah, that's the thing. He's just staring at him. And, and I know the instant sort of comparable as well. Look at San Jose with yeah. Joe Thornton, and they went out and had a great year. That's true, but Joe Thornton, he's productive still. Dustin Brown's entire identity was tied up in being the yeah. Kings t- captain. He had 11 goals last year, and as you heard John point out, most of them came against the Coyotes, five goals in five games against the Coyotes. So what is that, six goals in his other 77 games? I mean, he's never been a huge point producer to the extent of Thornton. And now you basically took away what he does for the Kings. Fortunately, he's only signed for six more years. Yeah, yeah, he's stuck in a spot where like, he broke up with a significant other and still has to live with him. <laughs> for six more years. For six more years. And I think the difference with the Thornton versus Brown, besides obviously the, the production, is that they wanted to take the captaincy off of Joe Thornton. Yeah. but. There was some level they kind of still wanted him to be there. Yeah. The Kings do not want Dustin Brown to be there anymore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we, we asked John about the expansion draft, too, and that was clearly one of the names that he mentioned that I, I would think it'd be at the top of the list. If, if you're going to take anything from us, Vegas, please take Dustin Brown. There's no way Vegas no, does that, I though, can't right? I see that happen. I mean, I, I understand, I guess, the argument of, well, a new expansion team, we're going to have some young talent, we're going to have this piece and this piece, and a lot of guys that have never played together. Let's have a leader like Dustin Brown in there for a year. Right. For one year. And this is what the, uh, hey, Vegas is going to take our awful player. Stripped leader. Yes. (laughs) The, hey, Vegas is going to take our awful player on an awful contract is taking the place of, yeah, we can just trade our 18th best prospect to get a first line forward. Yes. In fans' minds. Don't you love that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's so true. They'll take him off our hands. Yeah, we'll just expose him and lose that guy. That should be the Lipinski list for next week. The top 10 just players that teams are just saying, hey, Vegas, just take this guy. Because Dustin Brown, I think, would be number one. Top 10 players that fans are certain Vegas will claim in the expansion draft. Basically, the but 10 won't worst be claimed in the expansion in draft. Yes. Vegas I mean, isn't going to take even any on of these this guys. team. You, you know, you heard John also mention Marion Gabryk's name as another possibility. He, may, God, he makes he makes a million dollars less a year than than Dustin Brown makes. I think it's pretty clear who you take of those two, and then maybe you have a guy like Braden McNabb, a defenseman, young defenseman. Yeah, there's no way Dustin Brown's getting claimed. Oh, absolutely not. not uh, 
couple other things John said that, that stood out to me. When you asked him about Milan Lucic, he described him as a big loss. And, and I know from reading some of John's uh, stuff from the last couple months, he I, I knew that's how he was going to answer that question. But it is interesting because a lot of people are very critical of Edmonton signing him uh, just with the style he plays and, and the way the, uh, the NHL game is going. That said, probably still a big loss for this year and maybe next year, but Edmonton signed him till the end of time. And, and the, the wing situation in L.A. is not great. I mean, Marion Gabrick no. was not good last year. Yeah. We don't know how, what he's going to do this year. Teddy Purcell, what could he do in that new lineup? Is he still a legitimate top six forward? I, I was The third line, I mean, Dustin Brown, I mean, we've just talked, we just had a whole conversation about what he hasn't been able to do, aside from anybody against the Coyotes, essentially. Yeah, I, I don't like. I mean, I, I again, you, you like the the seventies line if they stick that, they keep that line together for, then they will for at least big portions of the season. Obviously, you like Kopitar, who's a star player, but after that, there's not a lot of depth there. No, and like John said, they need to get a, a bounce back season from Marion Gabrick, and then you need guys like Tanner Pearson and Tyler Toffoli to take the next step so that you have enough offense. Because you do wonder where it's coming from, and, and in that sense, I get the Lucic loss, but still. You know, again, the length of the contract, clearly, I think anybody can see that that's a mistake. And that, to me, that has buyout written all over it four years down the road. But even even when I look at the game today, I'm not sure I agree entirely that Lucic is such a great loss, specifically with the money he was asking, right? Well, yeah, I, when you I, factor I, that in, it's, I, it's I think this league is going in a different direction. And, and while he may be a valued member in that locker room, there, there's only so much stock I put in that. I think there are a lot of good locker room guys. I don't... I don't buy into that entirely. He, he, he probably does some. Good, he does do some good things on the ice, but again, I don't think this is the direction the league is taking. And you, you simply couldn't pay him the money that he was asking. If you could just have him in a vacuum, yes, you'd rather have him than not have him. But when you have to start to pay that amount of money, I think I think partially why it's such a big loss in air quotes to the Kings is that they traded pieces for him and only had him for one year. So that's tough. And to your point, Tanner Pearson, yeah, hasn't really hit the production yet. Tyler Toffoli, though, thirty-one goals last year, so mm-hmm. if they can get Pearson to do what Toffoli's doing. Uh, that would be great. Do we want to transition to Philadelphia here real quick? Yeah, why not? How much time do we need for the Flyers? That's my first question about the Flyers. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll start in, in terms of defense. What we saw from Shane Gostaspier, uh last year, is that repeatable for him over the course of a full 82-game season? Because, quite frankly, he saved that team last year, got them into the playoffs. I think we, the three of us look at that roster year in and year out and wonder why it's not in the playoffs more often. Uh, but but Gostaspier was the clear difference maker last year. Can he do that again this year? I think they're depending on him doing something close to that this year. Like you said, he saved them without that influx of you know of offense, of puck possession, of puck moving. That team is much farther down in the standings and not around the playoff bubble for as, as long as they were. I just I, you know I, you never know what's going to happen in a player's second season. It's impossible to predict something like that, but. He seems to have the type of game to make those sorts of things happen. So if they can get something close to that production, fine. But to me, the bigger question still with Philadelphia is, even if he does, are there enough pieces here? Or is this, are we talking about a slow build in Philadelphia? Is that what we're seeing here where they, they have to wait for a number of their young players to mature, a number of those prospects to jump into this lineup? Can they really expect anything more than to be in contention for a playoff spot? I, I don't... No, I think that's pretty much where they are. They're going to be right in the middle of the Eastern Conference. It is strange with Voracek and Giroux there that they're not they're not consistently better, especially because at the end of the season, like you watch the whole year and Philadelphia kind of disappears into the background and you wonder what happened to Claude Giroux, who Peter Laviolette famously called the best player in hockey a few years ago. 
But then at the end of the year, you look, and those two have decent numbers. They just they don't ever seem to score in big situations over the last couple of years, and nobody else other than Wayne Simmons seems to be scoring around them, with the exception of Gossespierre, who came in and scored pretty much every game it felt like last year. So, yeah, I see them as a team that, especially in the Metro Division, is fighting for a playoff spot. They are that good, but... You know, they're just in hockey purgatory right now. And they score in bunches, which I think is why you look at look up at the end of the year and Claude Giroux's numbers are look fairly fine, you know, on paper in a vacuum when you look at them. But, you know, again, you wonder why, again, when, when Claude Giroux, as you mentioned a few years back, was being compared, there were legitimate media outlets, media members, a lot of, most of them in Philadelphia, but there were legitimate members of the media asking the question, is Claude Giroux better than Sidney Crosby? It was wrong then. It's still wrong now. But there was a conversation coming off that 93-point season he had in 2011-2012. And he hasn't been a game-changer since then. His points look good, but he hasn't been a game-changer. And Voracek's goal totals, he hasn't he had scored 22, 23, 22 in the, in the three full seasons. 22 in 48 games and then 23, 22 within 11 last year. His goal total cut in half. Yeah, and these these things are always nuanced when you when you ask the question why, and I'm I'm sure part of it is when you look at the the rest of that roster, and you think about what sort of attention opponents can play to those two, uh, you know, pay to those two players because you really don't have a lot of other concerns in this lineup. So I'm sure that's factoring as well. But weren't weren't teams aware of that even when Drew was having the kind of season that he was having, putting up the kind of numbers? There there's a little bit of both playing. And why why aren't these guys stepping up in big situations more? than they are right now. The, the the conversation of Drew being the best player in the league is, I mean, mm. like Jamie said, it was insane at the time. He, what is he? the? He's at best the second best player on the Flyers, maybe the third. I mean, Wayne Simmons, I understand, isn't as flashy as Drew, but Simmons continuously puts up better all-around production at this point. And it's Such crazy. a good value. He, yeah, absolutely. Ridiculous value. And he impacts the game in every way, and he's quietly coming off a 32-goal season. And, and I think, honestly, if, if, you, were, if you were picking... If you were holding an expansion draft where you could only pick flyers, Gostaspear goes first, and I'm not even sure Giroux goes second. Braden Shen had more goals than him last year, too. I wouldn't take Shen over him, but, I mean, you're going to have a conversation between Simmons and Giroux, Voracek's there, Shen. I mean, they have pieces. I think the, the more interesting element to the flyers is what that defense could look like down the line mm-hmm. if Provorov comes, Ivan Provorov comes up and, and plays to his potential and Samuel Moore. And, I mean, they have been drafting defense finally. And I believe they're still paying Ilya Brzgalov, too. So take that for what it's worth. 2027, I believe. Oh, good. Okay, so they're almost out from under that deal. Dustin Brown's contract might be up by then. Maybe. All right. Do We uh, we have to have something else in the Flyers. Well, this is a, well, de- a depressing is, preview. All right, so should this team yes. stick in playoff contention and be in that wild card range where we think they're going to probably be, or at least assuming health and whatnot, how much flexibility can this team have to get better? I mean, you, you look at all this, the contracts they have currently signed. That's the thing. They don't have a They lot don't have room to get better. Yeah, and I mean, how long have we heard Matt Reed and Sean Couturier's name mm-hmm. in potential trades? It feels like it's been for their entire careers. And Couturier signed through 2022. Reed signed for another two seasons. I mean, at this point, I don't really believe either one of them is, is getting traded. This This kind of feels like the team that Philadelphia has – with the exception of those defensive prospects that are on the way up. This is kind of their group, and, and we haven't even gotten to their goaltenders yet. Yeah. Um, you look at a guy like Mark Street, who's probably going to be gone in a year. That's that's a contract that they can't wait to get out from under. But, yeah. but aside from that, yeah, not a lot of flexibility for this team moving forward. So I guess, you know, as we were talking about, you have to have the influx from underneath from your system. Young players that aren't going to cost you a lot. 
maybe one of these guys gets claimed in the expansion draft and, and you have a little bit more flexibility. But uh, again, going back to this, I, I think this is a slow build for Philadelphia. I don't think they can expect to be much more than they were last season for the next couple of years. Yeah, and you have to wonder if the core of this team is going to be the core of the team mm-hmm. that's, that's going to the be the one side, that, is, right? that comes on the other side of the of the re- uh, I don't want to call it a rebuild, but the pseudo rebuild that they're trying to do. Yeah, because they've got over sixteen million dollars per season. Getting emotional about the Flyers tied up in uh, Giroux and Voracek, and so and Giroux's not going anywhere. I mean, if you want to get crazy, you could try and trade Voracek, but. Does anybody want an 11 goal scorer for 8.25 million dollars well, a year? I think you you can't move him now. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to sell you don't want to sell the guy at the lowest point. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like if he has now, a good year this upcoming year, then you got to consider it. Or if he has another 11 goal season, boy, are they in trouble? Yeah, because yeah, I don't even know if Vegas would take him for that amount. I mean, he's an intriguing piece for Vegas because you're looking at a guy that was almost. What, he almost won the scoring title a couple years ago, and, and you could swoop right in and grab him, but you're under that deal until 2024. Yeah. You At that point, if you're Vegas and you, you pick him up, you're building around Voracek. That's your, your centerpiece. and That didn't sound so bad two years ago, but that's kind of risky now with a new team. No, and it, it, I, if they, were, they have any sense at all, they'll be building around the center position and the defensive position, which yeah. is pretty much what everyone should do. So I don't see them committing that kind of money to a wing. All right, we ready to uh, transition to Ottawa with Bruce Garriock? Let's bring him in. All right. All right, as we continue to preview the uh, teams around the National Hockey League, we are joined now by one of the uh, the best hockey insiders in the business, Bruce Garriock of the Ottawa Sun. You can find him on Twitter, at Sun Garriock. Bruce, thanks for the time uh, this afternoon. I guess, I guess I'll start off here with the first question right off the bat. Uh, Dion Phaneuf comes over from Toronto last season. We, you get to see a whole lot of, uh, of playing time uh, in the, the last portion of the year with Ottawa. But in your mind, how did he fit in there, and, and how do you project him fitting in going forward? Well, it's interesting because in the first, you know, he, he only played 19 games before he got injured and, and didn't finish the year. But I think that Dion Phaneuf made an impact on this team in a couple areas. Number one, I think he made an impact with Cody CC because I think that Cody CC had certainly struggled before to be a consistent player before Dion Phaneuf arrived here. And I think that certainly had an effect on on, uh, on Cody Cece when he got here, got him settled down. They tried pretty much everybody with Cody Cece, and they couldn't seem to find the right fit. And, and the other thing is, I think he, he filled a leadership void, and I don't think there was any question uh, that this team had a leadership void, and I think a lot of that had to do with the absence of Clark MacArthur. I think that Clark MacArthur is a pretty important player here, but as you know, MacArthur was out most of the year with a with a, um, with a with a post-concussion syndrome and really didn't play that much. And I think that most of the players have told Guy Boucher that, that Clark MacArthur was really missed in that dressing room. And, and I, my belief is that if, if Dion Phaneuf doesn't have to be the captain here, they have a captain. They have Eric Carlson. Uh, they, may they give him an A? Yeah, they might give him an A. But all he has to do here, you guys, is just be a player. And if Dion Phaneuf is just a player for the Ottawa Senators, then I think they'll be fine with him. Bruce, just uh, uh, quite a bit of change in the offseason for this franchise. I want to touch base on a few of those things. First of all, Pierre's promotion to general manager. How do you think that's going to impact the club, Pierre Dorian? Well, I think, I think it's changed the mindset a little bit in, in what was happening here. You know, one of the things that that Brian Murray, I think uh, the way Brian Murray uh, ran the team, I think one of the things he always did was 
he was constantly looking for top six forwards, and I think that uh, there was a bit of concern about maybe trading that one of those young players. And I think that Pierre Dorian finally kind of made his 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 I don't know put his stamp on this team by trading Mika's Banajad for Derek Broussard. I think that that kind of showed that you know what the Senators are here to try and win now, and they don't want to wait for Mika's Banajad, who's 23 years old. They want to start seeing results sooner rather than later. Uh, I think that Pierre Dorian is certainly a, a different style than than, uh, than Brian Murray, and I think he spent a lot of years under Brian Murray trying to learn the ropes, and I think he's been able to do that. But I think that, that one of the things that Pierre has shown since he's taken over, guys, is he's not afraid to make changes. And, and I think that that is probably... To the best of your knowledge, what Sorry about that. Uh, just following up on that, actually, I, I, I'll get to Mika in just a moment and, you know, the trade that they made for Derek Broussard, but also a new coach, Guy Boucher, the Senator's seventh coach, I believe, in the last ten seasons. What can he bring that others did not? Well, that is, it's a great question, and I think that's, that's one of the things, that there has to be a little more patience with the coaches here, I don't think there's any question. Um, you know, in, in talking to Guy Boucher and he, in his discussion with discussions with the players, guys, he sounds like a real good X's and O's guy, a guy who um, who is who is not who is going to. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. He's going to bring a fresh approach to that dressing room that maybe the others haven't had. You know, they've always. This is his second time around. I think that he learned from his first experience in Tampa Bay that um, there are certain ways that things have to be done and I think that um, the biggest thing is he it's interesting he has spent the summer and he's still got more to do but he spent the summer with a lot of the players and he's, he's spent at least two or three hours with each and every player on the roster and he'll sit down with Bobby Ryan and, and when he gets to Ottawa, and he tried to say, this is my approach, this is what I'm going to do. And the biggest impact he's got to make, you guys, he's got to make an impact on the special teams because the special teams for this, this club have not been good. How do you handicap the, the manager for bizarre trade and how the, the lines might shake out and differ now with the swap of the two centers? Well... It's interesting because, you know, you look at Derek Broussard and his age and what he's been able to accomplish in the National Hockey League, and I think that they want a guy who's going to make an immediate impact. And I, I, I think, you know, Mika's Banajad just some nights he looked like an all-star. Other nights he looked like a pretty good player in the National Hockey League. But there were far too many nights where he pulled a disappearing up. And I think one of the things they want from that number two center spot, and now that Kyle Turris is, is completely healthy, uh, you know, I think one of the things they want is they want some consistency from that number two center spot. And if, if they're able to, to get that consistency from Derek Broussard, then this will be a trade that, that should 
put them in a position to challenge for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. I think that that there were just too many nights where you didn't see Zabanaj at or even notice him, and and that that became very apparent. You know, he got a great opportunity when Kyle Turris was was injured last year, and he wasn't able to take advantage of it. So I think they feel like that's important to them. In that vein, Bruce, uh, and we're obviously pretty familiar with Kyle Turris here, at least the early part of his career. But I, I want to ask you something, just a really deep examination of this, this situation with these two centers as your top two centers. Can the Senators expect to be anything more than a playoff team, given these players' strengths and weaknesses? Is this a pairing, a, a one-two punch at center, that has the potential to lift them to elite status in the Eastern Conference? Well, I, I guess that's the million-dollar question, right, Craig? Like, you look at it, and, you know, people always say, you know, at some point here they're going to have to go get another center. I think here's what they're relying on. They're relying on Kyle Turris being healthy this year and being the number one center they, they expect him to be. I think they're relying on Bobby Ryan being a, a, a consistent player again, and I know I'm not really answering your question, <laughs> but I think they're relying on Bobby Ryan being a consistent player again. They're hoping that Clark MacArthur can stay healthy again. If all those things happen and Derek Broussard comes in and makes an impact, then they feel, and, and I haven't even mentioned Mark Stone. I mean, Mark Stone's an outstanding player, so he's going to play on your top two lines. And, yeah, I haven't mentioned Mike Hoffman either. And Mike Hoffman scored 30 goals in this league the last two years. Not quite 30, but very close. Um, I think, Craig, they feel like if those two lines are able to get their chemistry and stay healthy, then, yeah, they feel like they've got a team that could push not only for a playoff spot, to go, but to go a little further beyond. Talking to Bruce Garriock of the uh, Ottawa Sun. Bruce, you, you mentioned earlier when you were discussing the Zabinijad trade, the, uh, the sort of mentality that they want to win now. They don't want to wait for – they don't want to just sit around and wait for these younger guys to develop. What is the atmosphere like in Ottawa with this team? Because after making the Cup back in 2007, they've won just one playoff series. Is there is there growing pressure right now? Well, absolutely there's pressure in it. The biggest pressure is people want them to spend money, mm. and you know they they've tried the they've tried the route where they spent to the cap and they didn't have success that way either. So you know they've dialed it back and they've got um, a, you know they, they they stick to their 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 payroll and uh, but I think they feel like uh, they can grow with this team and. It, I think the other thing is, is Eugene Melnick has always spent money at the trade deadline. He's never said no to going to get a player at the trade deadline if they want to add somebody in the end. But, but I, I think absolutely there's some pressure to don't just make the playoffs, but make the playoffs and have some success. Is that the second round? Is that the third round? Is that getting to the Stanley Cup final? Uh, I, I think people want to see all those things and beyond, of course, but no, absolutely. There's pressure for this team to be consistent again and to be a contender again because they haven't been a contender in a long time. Well, one of the names we haven't talked about, or any of the names, are the goaltending situation. How comfortable is the team with their current situation in net, especially given that they do want to take that next step and be more than just a team on the fringe of playoff contention? Well, I think they feel really good about Craig Anderson because – 
Craig Anderson has been one of the best goalies, you know. It, you know, he's been he's been a top goalie in the league here, and he, he certainly, I think he's got two years left on his contract, and they absolutely feel good about where they're at with Craig Anderson. I think there are some concerns about their backup, Andrew Hammond, though. Andrew Hammond, you know, went on that lengthy run two years ago and, and the miracle run won 20 games or 21 games in a row and, and took them to the uh, and, and got the club to the playoffs on the last day of the season but last year he wasn't very good and um, you know they're one injury away from him having to to be uh, the starter for this team and so you know that's the other thing is Craig Anderson has got to stay healthy and um, because there's not a lot of depth in their goal right now. Um, so, no, I think that they feel really good about Anderson and they feel like he's a top-flight goalie in the league. But if he gets hurt, you're right. I mean, it's, it's a difficult situation for them. Bruce, who are some of the young players that we might see making a push for a roster spot? I, I think I mentioned in a question to you, Thomas Chabot, forgive the French pronunciation there, but who are some of the players who might push their way into this lineup and, and actually maybe make an impact? Well, I think I, I think you've hit the nail on the head in Thomas Chabot. I think that they have looked at Thomas Chabot this year and they feel like Thomas Chabot is the kind of guy who should come to camp and at the very least play nine games for them and push for playing time in their top six, in their it, 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 you know, in their in their group of six defensemen, the the opportunity is there for him to certainly be one of their five or six. I think their 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 top six pretty much set with with Carlson and Mathot and CC and Finoff. But I think there's a real opportunity in that five six hole with Borbietsky and and Shabbat and and. Uh, and Weidman all fighting for, for playing time, I think Shabbat has a real opportunity here to show that he can be a defenseman in this league this year. And the other thing is, you know, guys, you still got to sign CC. He's a restricted free agent. Uh, I'm not really sure where the discussions are at as we speak right now. Um, they're talking about a two-year contract. But if CC remains unsigned, then there's a better opportunity there for him. I think up front, I think you have to keep an eye on their, their draft pick from this year, Logan Brown. I think they feel uh, pretty confident that Logan Brown will, at the very least, push for a spot in training camp. I'm not sure he'll make the team, but I think that he's another guy with his size that, that, that certainly has the opportunity to, to, to start the season in Ottawa and perhaps play a few games. Um, they signed Tom Payette spent last year in Switzerland and spent some time with, with Guy Boucher in Tampa and I think played for him in Switzerland as well. So he's a guy who hasn't been talked about, but I think that he's going to play here as well. And last question for me is, looking specifically at those some of the younger forwards, is there another level that the Kyle Turris's, Bobby Ryan's, Mike Hoffman, uh, uh, Stone, can those players reach another level? Because they have produced pretty well over the last few years, and it hasn't quite been enough for just them to produce to get Ottawa where it wants to go. Is there another level they can reach, or is the organization going to have to either call guys up or make some outside moves in order to get to where they want to go? No, I, I, I think that they feel like they've 
feel like, you know, the names you mentioned, I think they feel like they can all improve and that those guys can can all be better and more consistent players in the National Hockey League. And I think that's probably, you know, they the way they project them out, that they can be better players. You know, there's another there's another level for Mike Hoffman, uh, uh, obviously, because, you know, they gave him a four-year, $5.1 million a year contract this summer, and he's getting an opportunity to play for Guy Boucher, who he played for in junior. So I think they feel pretty good about him. Uh, Mark Stone is just a good player both ends of the ice. It, it, I think you can always rely on Mark Stone to be a 20-goal scorer. And I, I, I think that, that um, you know, he just, to me, he's the kind of player who makes who makes the players around them better at both ends of the ice. So I, I, I think that, like I said earlier, if those guys as a group, their top six are fine, then this team will be fine. All right, Bruce, last question for all of us here, and I'm going to ask you to cast your eye uh, more nationally because I know you do that quite a bit as well. Canada got shut out of the playoffs last year. What's the mood up there? What's the feeling moving forward with all of those teams? Can can somebody break the ice, get back into the postseason? Well, I absolutely think so. And I think that if you look at the, the situation in Canada right now, I think that the Montreal Canadiens and the Ottawa Senators, uh, if you look at these two teams, I think they're probably the teams that are probably closest to making the playoffs again. I, you know, I think that I'm not really sure what happened in Winnipeg last year. I thought that they would be a better team. Um, you know, the, the Calgary Flames took a step backwards, and I'm not sh- quite sure that they're ready to make the playoffs. And I, I think the Edmonton Oilers, at some point or another, they got to start winning. Uh, I, the, the mood up here is, you know, was pretty – all you had to do was look at the TV ratings to realize that people – you know, the fact that there were no Canadian teams in the playoffs had a heavy, heavy effect on on uh, on the television ratings up here. Were you all in bars? <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 there's a lot of pressure up here for, for these teams to get back to the postseason, but I, I think more so guys in the Montreal and Ottawa markets than anywhere else. Bruce, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Bruce Garriak from the Ottawa Sun. You can find him on Twitter at SunGarriak. Great stuff as always. Great insights both on the Senators and, of course, nationally covering the National Hockey League. Thanks again, Bruce. Great to talk to you guys. Have a good afternoon. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, Bruce Garrick. I mean, that, you want to talk about a guy that is plugged into the hockey scene, not just in Ottawa, but really throughout the NHL. And, and to your point, Craig, uh, specifically the the uh, seven Canadian teams, all of which missed the playoffs last year. It's interesting. He said he said Montreal and Ottawa are the two teams with the best chance of breaking through. Um, we've discussed this on the show a few times over the last month or so, and, and we've all kind of thrown Calgary in there, although. Maybe they have a tougher path, certainly, yeah. than, than Montreal and Ottawa do. I think it's all about the conferences. I think if you push Calgary into the Eastern Conference, you'd probably pick them yeah. as the favorite of all those teams to make the playoffs. But, yeah, it's just a tougher road in the West because it's deeper. So, yeah, again, Montreal, I, we're going to find out this season, I, I think, Carey Price's value to this team. I think we know that he's a very valuable player. But when you look at the juxtaposition of those last two seasons with and without him, it was pretty dramatic now. Did, was that a revelation for them, and they realized, hey, we're, we're actually not that good, and then they went and traded P.K.'s Subban on top of that. Maybe they're not a playoff team anymore, but Ottawa, Ottawa's an interesting team to me. 
I like a lot of the pieces that they have there. I'm, again, I'm, the, que- the reason I asked him about those centers is I'm not convinced that this one-two punch at center is enough to do more than maybe just make a, make the playoffs. But, but, yeah, I mean, when you say that, you're, you're talking about can Kyle Turris, Derek Broussard win them a cup or get them to the cup. Also, you're using words like juxtaposition just to uh, show off your multi-syllabic English grasp of but the look, language. another check under the door. Yes, every time Craig hits that many syllables in the word, money just appears. It's like a video game. Um, you know, it's interesting talking to Bruce, too. He, he, Mike Hoffman has to be the most overlooked young routinely around 30 goal scorer in the league and I know he's, he's he got paid well by Ottawa he's signed what now through 2020 and he's making 5.1875 million dollars a year so he's not overlooked in Ottawa but he's not somebody that that stands out when you're talking about the young players around the whole league and, and I think partially that's just because Ottawa's kind of just in the middle of the east right now they're kind of like Philadelphia they at least seem to have more young talent that's already playing at the NHL level and they're in that division which seems like an easier way to make the playoffs but nothing's a given yeah, which was kind of what the point of my, my last question to Bruce was is I don't know how much more they can squeeze out of Eric Carlson Kyle Turris Bobby Ryan Mike Hoffman Mark Stone who I somehow did not call Michael Stone on the air I came so close I just said Stone good work I know I'm so proud of myself I'm going to think my shoulder needs a little work after pat myself on the back. Except you just admitted it and we're still on the air, so it kind of... that's all right. Yeah, okay. But see if I admit I didn't do it, it makes... Uh, whatever. All right. But that's I what this know, podcast is all about. Yeah, I don't know how much more they can get out of those guys. So then you have to wonder, okay, it, those that core hasn't been enough to get the job done. It's not, I'm not saying it's their fault, but the pieces around them have to do something a little bit different. And, and they might have to go outside the organization to find assets that can help them get to the next level, but... I don't know. Do you, do you make that move if you're Ottawa right now? Do you think you're you're a piece away from a cup contender? I mean, uh, if you're you're a number one center, maybe away, but those aren't just going to come knocking at your door for a number one center. Yeah, and I don't. You know, when when you say they haven't gotten the job done, remember the run that they had in the playoffs. But uh, we've all talked about this. This was that was largely goaltender driven. They had a a guy yeah. performing above and, yeah, going above his level. Nuts. So that that carried them. So I, I think last season is probably more an indicator of who the Ottawa Senators are. And, and to that point, yeah, Jamie, I, I, I think it was a good question because it is a concern. Do the pieces, again, I go back to these two centers, do the pieces or this roster as it's currently constituted really amount to anything more than just, yeah, we're going to be right around the playoffs. That, that's about it. Well, and you referenced that, that run from two years ago, which was exciting with the Hamburglar and Curtis Lazar eating fast food off the ice. I mean, they were a fun team down the stretch, but that all that that ended up with them winning two playoff games and losing in six to Montreal in round one. And, it, you know, they make they made the Stanley Cup back in 2007, which I think a lot of people forget, but they've won a total of one playoff series since then. The most yeah. games in that they've won in the playoffs in basically the last decade is five. I mean, they... they we haven't seen Ottawa late in the playoffs. You know, you get to that point in the playoffs where it's mid to late May and, and you, you see teams and they show a highlight of a team or commercial for the NHL or whatever, and you're like, I forgot that team was even in the league because I've been watching the same eight teams for the last two weeks or whatever. Like, Ottawa's always like one Rio. of those teams. Yes. Sorry. Yes. It always comes I back to Rio. I can't believe I went back to that. Yeah, I can't. It was yeah. the weakest part of our podcast, yeah. and I brought it up again. But yet it was somehow and still And broken your, your train of thought. And it wasn't hard wow. to derail that train. Anything else here before we uh, wrap up? I was going to make a brilliant point, but Craig wants to talk about Rio. Oh, sure. so. no, I think the last point I would make is just they're in an interesting spot where they, they do have a lot of these young players. They have eight players right now signed to contracts of $4.2 million or more. Half of those are signed for four years or more. They're in a spot where 
in theory, this should be, I mean, if you look at their just their contract situation and the players and what their point productions are. And they're a small market, so you can't spend to the cap. So. This is kind of the window where they should be winning. I mean, all the, all the peripheral things around the team say this should be the window they should try to win. And I don't, I don't look at this roster and think it's anything more than a wild card team. And I don't know how they can get to that next level. They're not, the pieces they need are critical pieces. Yeah, I mean, this is their team. We have barely even mentioned Eric Carlson, who you know is routinely putting up seventy points on the back end, and we've we've heard Craig's rant about how he, that doesn't make him a Norris Trophy winner, which this year was actually true. But uh, he is still providing more offense mm-hmm. than almost all defensemen around the league. And you know, up at the awards show this year before before the Norris was handed out, uh, I remember him making the comparison between himself and Drew Doughty, who was at the podium next to him, and saying, you know, if if, if Drew and I switch teams. I would become a more defensive player, and I wouldn't have those stats, and, and Drew would have more stats like that. I, I don't know if, if it's that true because Carlson is clearly offensively gifted, but yeah, I mean, now we're painting the picture of a team with young players, signed long-term. Uh, Eric Carlson there put, putting up about 70-plus points every year, and they're still not really making yeah, the playoffs. Yeah, that's, that's exactly that. Carlson had a, a ridiculous offensive season last 82 year. 82 points. A ridiculous season, and they still are not a playoff team. That's, Coaching that's, change, though. I mean, yeah. maybe. And we'll see. But that's my concern because when we usually talk about, well, they have young players. Well, you know, we're talking about, just to bring back to the Coyotes since we always – we haven't done that yet. We haven't mentioned the Coyotes once in this So there we show. go. John you, did. You talk about something like a, a player like Max Domi, and you yes. say, okay, there's potential there. He scored X amount of points this season. He could score 20 more points in that this season. I don't think Ottawa has one of those with their main guys. I don't. I mean, Carlson's not going to score 100 points next season. No, it's going to have to be one of the forwards that steps up. Or, or like Bruce said, maybe Phaneuf, you know, whether he's overpaid or not, he's paid at this point. So maybe he he bolsters that blue line or, or maybe one of these young players came up, come up and have an impact. But Ottawa doesn't have a ton of young talent in the system anymore. I mean, of the three teams we've talked about today, Philadelphia is the one with the most untapped uh, potential in the, in the farm system. I guess the last point on Ottawa – because uh, you guys asked him and Bruce said, you know, they're pretty comfortable with Craig Anderson in net. Generally, when I look at a team like this that's kind of hovering around the middle, I almost wonder if they could do something in goal. And we've talked so much about how there's potentially Ben Bishop, who's a former senator, or maybe even Marc-Andre Fleury, or I guess Ryan Miller wouldn't make a ton of sense. But, I mean, it's a goaltending change what this team needs because Craig Anderson has not signed that much longer. No, actually, both their goaltenders are UFA. Both their goaltenders on the roster at the moment are UFAs after this year. Yeah. So maybe that's where the change comes from. But again, do you, is that a move? That, again, you have to see where they are in the standings. But is that a move? Do you make that kind of all-in move to trade assets for a rental, essentially? Is this is this team at the point where that makes sense? I'm not sure it is. Well, no. I think you'd have to you'd have to go into next season saying either Ben Bishop or Mark Andre Fleury or you know whatever variation. If Tampa yeah. was rather would rather Fleury trade Vasilevsky, years, but yeah, yeah. I mean, they have that has to be your goalie for the future. That, that would have to be the, the mindset. You're right. You can't rent a guy just to get to the second round of the playoffs. Well, you better be looking at, you know, things like your, your possession metrics, things like that, and saying, okay, is the team in front of us going to suit that sort of move? Is, does it make sense to make that sort of move with the style we're playing with the players that we have in front of them, or is it just going to be, Cosmetic. you know, a nominal bump or no bump at all, and now we've tied up more money in a goaltender? A quick correction by me. It was two years. Oh. Both goaltenders have two years left. So this year and next season, then they both – Unrestricted free agents. And I move that the new name of the podcast is a nominal bump. 
That's the uh, <laughs> that's my movement going forward. Yeah, I did. All right, that's uh, that's it for episode forty-five. Who are we previewing next week? And actually, Jamie has stuff too. We got a housekeeping to take yeah, we care. Yeah, a couple of housekeeping there, but let's let's talk about who we're. Pre- oh, you, oh, Craig closed his computer, but uh, because he gets money slid under the door, we're going to make him open the computer back up. Now I can go find it. Um, we, so well, kill time. Well, here, but while I looked it up, kill time talking about the Swedish fish Oreos that are now in stores. No, talk about how we can how people can find us on iTunes because this is uh, something you wanted me to bring up anyway. We're on iTunes. You can search Natural Hat Trick now, and you can find uh, the podcast there. And at that, you know, at that point, a give us a review. At B, feel free to write whatever you want, preferably something good. But uh, but C, you can subscribe, and that way you don't have to look for the podcast each week because I know. In, this, in the off-season, we're kind of, you know, one week we do it on Tuesday, the next week we do it Thursday or Wednesday or whatever. If you just subscribe on iTunes, you, you've got it coming to you every week. And I think we've been pretty consistent. This is 45 episodes in 46 weeks, so that's yeah, about— you're stuck with us now. Yeah, and once you subscribe, we're going to be on your iTunes every single week. Craig's going to be uh, talking about his money. Should we, we can, should we go back to the creepy doesn't songs? doesn't sound very appealing yeah. when you put it like that. Should we go back to like the that? creepy songs list? Because it's what we should be playing right now. <laughs> All right. Who do we have next All week? Right. I know we're doing Winnipeg at we're, least. We're going to be talking about Winnipeg. Okay. We're also going to be talking about the Florida Panthers with the Miami Herald's George Richards. Nice. And we're going to be talking San Jose Sharks, a team that actually went to the Cup last year with Curtis Michelka from the Bay Area News Group. So another good lineup next week. Please join us. That's three potential playoff teams right there, too. All right. For Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.